0: This morning we continue in our series of studies on the letters of the Apostle Paul. And you know there's some points in this study that we've done in the past uh, months and I guess years now where I've sort of gotten stuck on certain things that I thought were of pivotal importance. And, and Romans chapter 8, for me, is a matter of um, great importance in this letter. It's one of the passages of Scripture that very early on, in my Christian life, just fascinated me. I remember when I was in the military as a young Christian, committing it to memory. In certain parts, I don't know if I still can do it. A lot of it I can do, but um, I did commit it to memory in the American Standard version back then. And um, I don't know if I could do the same today. But I hope a lot of it is still in my in my mind. Um, and there's a passage, if Paul's letter to the Romans, this is great work, this is magnum opus. Um, Romans 8 really comes to the height of the letter. It really so much funnels into Romans 8 to give us uh, what I would call just a panoramic view of Christian salvation. It's just a, uh, you know, get out the wide angle lens and just see something of the, the breadth of the Christian salvation, it really is found in the eighth chapter in Romans and in places that, uh, you know, we see it in pieces throughout Scripture, of course, but here in this passage in particular, it, it, just, it just shines. And so um, I thought to break it down into um, an outline and stick it on the board, but I, I don't even think I'm capable of doing that, at least not just at this point. So what I thought it would be good to do is, is just to read it just to read it. We don't often have long scripture readings in our Sunday school, but I think Romans 8, we can make an exception and read um, this great uh, section. And And I want you to note uh, just some things about it. Um, Romans 8 is known for the, for the fact that Paul in this letter uh, focuses in upon the work of the Holy Spirit only once before in Romans was the Holy Spirit even mentioned that's in chapter 5 when Paul said that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit that was given to us, Romans 5 and verse 5 but here I think there's like 19 references to the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of Christ or some variant uh, speaking about the Holy Spirit so the Holy Spirit really comes into um, full focus but not exclusively Not exclusively, because again, our tendency is in the evangelical world to take the letter of Paul to the Romans and then to kind of um, section it off into different themes. Uh, We think it's a systematic theology in a sense. We're here, we're talking about justification and here we're moving on to sanctification and here we're moving on to assurance and here we're moving on to something else. I just don't think that's true. I think that we have all those themes really throughout the length and breadth. I mean Paul can tell us what his letter's about, and in no way did he say i 'm giving you a systematic theology he says i 'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome. This is about the gospel, this is about the blessings of the gospel, this is about something of the of the wonder of gospel grace, gospel, blessing, gospel privilege. And just the the privilege of God's people to live out of the gospel, not to live in accordance with the law, not living in accordance with um, any standard other than that which we see in our Lord Jesus. So you see, not only the emphasis upon the Holy Spirit, but I'm going to emphasize in the reading. Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, in Christ, it begins with no condemnation, to who? To those who are in Christ Jesus. And then it ends with, there's no separation from the love of God, and where is that to be found? In Christ Jesus our Lord. So, it's not just the Holy Spirit, without the, without the Son, the, the the Son of God makes a prominent appearance in Romans 8, and you know what? so also does God the Father. It's really, I mean, if you want to say uh, a doctrine's being taught in Romans 8, maybe it's the Trinity, we ought to say. This is this is a, a chapter about uh, Trinitarian relations. This is about Trinitarian blessings giving to the, given to the people of God. Um, but it's gospel through and through. And um, there's just so many great sections of it, so many wonderful statements, just going from no condemnation to no separation from the love of God in Christ, from every every aspect of the work of Christ. His incarnation, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension, his heavenly intercession. But it's not just the Son's intercession, also the Spirit's intercession is found here. So incredibly broad uh, scope of the blessings of the Christian salvation is what I want you to see. And then another thing, perhaps you can see as we go through, is that some of these phrases, some of these statements that Paul makes, are really statements that cannot be understood except on the backdrop of the Old Testament scriptures. Things like first fruits, things like first born. Um, many, many of the statements, really, uh, you know people try to take it and say, well, what in Roman society accorded with this or that? And uh, they take adoption, for instance. You can speak about the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father, and that's not just in a term of endearment. That's a term, term of desperation, of desperation. In the midst of trouble and conflict and need, we cry out, Abba, Father, Father, help us in the midst of our our, our concerns. And that's our privilege, to call upon God in that way, in the midst of the sufferings of this present age. Um, But many of these statements, you don't look to the society that Paul lived in. though. Yeah, he draws upon his Roman background, he draws upon his Greek language and Greek culture and things like that. That's true. But Paul, preeminently, was dealing with the Old Testament, And so, it's it's a funny thing, I'll tell you later, well, I'll tell you you now. I did did a paper on adoption when I was in school, I was assigned to to study adoption, and then not just to study it and present a paper on it, but then to present it to the class. Uh, This was the first year that uh, Pastor Greg Nichols taught uh, soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. And so he was himself just uh, embarking on uh, doing some of the major studies that have led to some of the books that he's written. And uh, so what he did for sociology is <laughs> about you know four or five guys in the class. He said, well, I want uh, you to take this subject. You I think he gave us a choice what we wanted to take. And I took adoption. And I did my paper on adoption. And when I studied the subject of adoption in the theologies and such, they're all going back to, what did Roman adoption mean? What did it mean when somebody would adopt somebody in the Roman world? And it's funny that they would do that in Romans chapter 8. when In Romans chapter 9, it says, to Israel belong the adoption. So evidently, Paul has some concern that adoption is not just a Roman practice. And it's not even the Roman practice he's concerned about. He's concerned about that Israel possess the adoption, and we possess the adoption of sons. And and really, to me, that's so key, to understand the book of Romans, that we, as God's people, enter in to the blessings of Israel. Israel's blessings become ours through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's begin by reading Romans 8. I've talked enough. Let's hear God's word. Romans 8, verse 1. Again, back uh, is on the backdrop of chapter 7, the the frustration that the law brings and the uh, deliverance that Christ brings. He says in verse 1 There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son. In the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. Now, we're going to move on here in the next verses, and you're going to see how many times Paul mentions this contrast between flesh and spirit. And we're going to deal largely with that this morning, this contrast. Christ came in the flesh, that is in our human nature, without sin. He condemns sin in his flesh, the flesh of his own body, dying for us. But it said, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, that is, our human flesh, our sinful human flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, this contrast of flesh and spirit comes in. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. Although the body is dead because of sin, or the body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. If And of children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation wakes, waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, not of his own will, it wasn't the creation that did anything wrong it's man who sinned but it's subject to futility because of him who subjected it but it's in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God so it's not only our freedom but all, all creation that's subject to sin and subject to slavery will be redeemed Christ's redemption is not just of the individual it's of the world it's the saving of, of the world from under the burden of sin. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons to the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. And then there's a mention of adoption there. It's the redemption of our bodies. It's entering into full sonship in the obtaining of the of the future inheritance. Um, again, Israel as the son was to be redeemed from Egyptian bondage for what end? The inheritance. It was to inherit the promise that God gave to the father. So we are redeemed as sons. And we're bound for that glory, that, that redemption of our bodies, that full salvation that Jesus will bring at his second coming. He says in verse 24, For in this hope we are we're saved, the hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn. Among many brothers, and those whom he predestined, he also called; and those whom he who, those he called, he also justified; and those whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors to him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Well worth the reading, huh? How do you take a passage like this and just put a title on it and say, well, this is what it's referring to. It's referring to the Christian sanctification. Well, yeah, of course. It's talking about Christian sanctification, but so is Romans 6, so is Romans 12. So is almost every passage in the Bible. Sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. All of the word of God, in fact, is unto our sanctification. Oh, it's about assurance. Assurance someone says, about assured hope. Well, yeah, that tells us about assured hope, but that's amidst sundry other things. It also tells us about the certainty of the saints' perseverance. Well, yeah, it does. No question. But it tells us, again, so much more. You just can't put a label on it. It's all gospel from beginning to end. It's the blessings of the gospel. And again, this is what Paul tells us. This is his subject here. He's speaking about the gospel. And he's speaking about the gospel in such a way that we're not so much to look to view it through the prism of systematic theology. Now, you all know what systematic theology is? That's the kind of theological study that tries to make logical relations between the different truths of the Word of God. So, you know, you think about God, and then you think about man, and you think about sin, and you think about the need of salvation from sin. And so there is a progression of different ideas that interlink, they're connected. And, And that's... Evident, you're going to have that. You can't be a thoughtful human being reading God's word and not look to put, put together the different truths of Scripture in something of a logical, systematic f- fashion. But that's not how the Bible's given to us. The Bible's not given to us by saying, "Well, here we have a, a section here that deals with the doctrine of God and who God is, and God's glory and God's attributes and God's..." No, it, it, you don't find it that way. The Bible's given in terms of a story of story of God's intervention first of all God's creation of the world uh, the reality of man's defection from God through sin and and God's Uh, uh, purposes with respect to having a people whom he restores to himself. And uh, in the Old Testament, it's mainly the story of Israel. Not exclusively the story of Israel. It's also the story of the people that came out of the ark uh, uh, after the flood. Many other things enter into God's account of his own purposes with respect to his redemption uh, bringing back, his restoration of a fallen world. I think there's several attempts at it, that uh, the reality is they all failed. Uh, What happened after the flood didn't seem to accomplish a whole lot except bring some measure of shame to Noah. (laughs) The drunken episode you read about at the end of chapter 9. Um, certainly the separation of the nations uh, after the Tower of Babel, another example of uh, just how things get botched, and, and even God's purpose to remediate that in terms of having a people, a nation, through whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed through the Abrahamic covenant and through the promises given to Abraham. It, it ultimately culminates in God's redemption of a people from Egyptian bondage who, at best, at their best days, were hard-hearted, stiff-necked, rebellious, <laughs> and, and hardly uh, the paragon of what redemption is supposed to do and what God's salvation is intended to bring. When God brings rescue, it's to it's, it's issue in a grateful people. But yet, it doesn't seem to happen with respect to Israel in the Old Testament, and, and so. There's obviously some deficiency, but what didn't seem to achieve its desired ends in the Old Testament were not promises God forgot. They were not promises God just laid on the table and said, well, you know, didn't work, so we'll just have a wholly new scheme. But God's purpose is that those promises that he gave in Abraham, those promises that he gave in David, those promises that he gave to his people throughout the, the, the centuries, that they're promises that he makes good, but he makes those promises good in a son, in the Lord Jesus. And that's where Romans opens in chapter 1. Paul says, I've been set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand. There is prophets in the Holy Scripture. This is a matter of promise that God has made, and now God has come and fulfilled it. It's promises he made beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture concerning his Son. Concerning his Son. It's so a whole whole pattern of the Roman letter is that these great promises of God that were given to Israel, the great promises of God that refer to God's purposes with respect to salvation, are now fulfilled in history when Jesus comes, and he is Ultimately, I think it was we're going to see he's the true fulfillment of those promises. He's the true son of Abraham, seed of Abraham. He's the true uh, Davidic king. He's the true Israelite, really, to whom the promises belong. He's the vine of which we are the branches. And uh, the, the unbelieving the un, uh, branches of Israel get broken off, and Gentile branches get engrafted in. Grafted in, into what? Something totally new? Something that just came about at the end of uh, the, uh, the, end, the end of the ages when Jesus came. No, Jesus came at the end of the ages to fulfill the promises of of the Old Testament. So the the theme really is promise and fulfillment. So it's really hearkening back to the Old Testament and hearkening back to the promises of salvation God gave to his ancient people that now becomes fulfilled in Christ. And we who believe in the name of Christ, we come into the entrance of the possession of the blessings of Israel's history and Israel's story. Israel's story becomes our story. And and, you know you look at that in many passages of the Old Test of of Romans itself, and that becomes so apparent. I like the way Paul ends this whole thing. Well, a couple places, but particularly in chapter fifteen. Chapter fifteen Some of these statements, we tend to neglect them, we overlook them, but they really are pertinent to what Paul's doing in the Roman letter. In chapter 15 and verse 8, he says with respect to Jesus, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, that is a servant to the Jews, the servant of the Lord, who um, came in accordance with Isaiah's own prophecies. He came to the Jews, to the circumcised, to show God's truthfulness, or God's faithfulness, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Christ's coming is to confirm the promises given to the patriarch, to show God's faithfulness to those promises, God's commitment to keep those promises. And Paul's ministry, or the Christian ministry, is seeking to tell the Jews, God's been faithful to the promises he's given to his ancient people. He's fulfilled them in Christ. Christ is the servant to the circumcised to show God's faithfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. So Christ's ministry is to fulfill the promises to the Jews and then to open up the blessings of the Jews to the nations, even as the Abrahamic Covenant said would, would occur. That, that, that God blesses Israel to the end that the nations will be blessed. The Old Testament Gospel is God's soul of Israel. Um, I'm sorry, Sorry, God so loved the world that he gave Israel to be his people. And that through them, the nations would be blessed. It's the love of God to Israel that then was to be spread to the nations. Of course, that didn't happen. They didn't fulfill their calling. And now Jesus comes to be the one through whom the nations are blessed. But it's God fulfilling his promises to Israel. So we have to see that. We have to see that we as God's people... Who are Gentiles, we've been grafted into this Jewish thing. We've come to the possession of the Jewish promises. We've become into the possession of really the story of Israel. The story of Israel is now our story. I say this as a, as a, as a Jew to whom the promises already belonged, but uh, I receive the reality that God's been faithful to his promises. And you receive the reality that part of those promises is that God wouldn't just be dealing with one nation, but through that nation, that all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And through Jesus, the true, faithful, obedient servant, the true Israelite, who fulfills all of God's words, that uh, the door of entry is opened. Make disciples of the nations, is what Jesus commanded. But then in chapter 15, also, uh, there is that statement that comes uh, in the words of the earlier verses in um, verse 4. He says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. He's writing to a church. And he's, saying, he's not saying that, well, the Gospels and the Acts and the letters of the Apostles. He says, no, no, no. Whatever was written in former days, before we ever came upon the scene, those things stand written for our instruction. That's for us. The Old Testament Scriptures are our Scriptures. And we find our identity, we find our story in these Old Testament Scriptures. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope so when I come to Romans chapter 8 as well as the rest really to the book of Romans I will expect and we should expect to find in Paul's words something of realities that are not just new covenant realities and in fact I think that you really can't understand Paul's language as he expresses it without understanding the Old Testament Scriptures Now. I made mention of the fact that in this passage, the Paul says a lot about flesh and spirit. He makes this contrast between the flesh and the spirit. Now, it's back in the whole argument that he's given that the law can't enable you. The law enables; It's the gospel that enables. And so that's on that backdrop, is that in through the law we find death. Through the law we find condemnation. Through the law we find desperation and we find darkness and we find anything but light but it is in christ that no condemnation comes that we become god's righteousness in christ jesus because of what christ has done not what we've done and it's not that the law itself was evil the law itself is good but it was weak through the flesh he says early on in chapter eight Um, he says the law was weakened by the flesh not in itself the law is great (laughs) in itself if you could keep it but you can't and all the law does is it demands it doesn't enable it doesn't help it doesn't say I'm going to lift you up I'm going to give you a hand no that's Christ Jesus comes and says I'm the one who comes to be your helper the law says just do do and live and we can't do and so we cannot live just by the requirements of the law and so what the law couldn't do God did God did. God has done what could not be done through the law. And He did it in the incarnation of His Son, the sending of His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, bearing our human nature and coming for sin. It might be there that He came as a sin offering for sin to give himself for our sins, to be the Lamb of God who bears away the sin of the world. He condemns sin in the flesh, in his own flesh. He died the just for the unjust. that he might bring us to God, and the whole end of this is in order, that the righteous requirement of the law might just not be known to us, but actually be fulfilled in us. That we might actually become keepers of the law through the power of the grace of the gospel. That we might do the things that God requires that we might serve God out a glad and thankful hearts because of what we have received in God's Son but this matter of keeping the righteous requirement of the law is characteristic of those who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit and he gets into this whole matter of different domains different powers, different realms, different ways of living ways of thinking One is activated and dominated and controlled by what he calls the flesh, and the other is activated and controlled and dominated by the Spirit. Now my question is this, where did Paul get this language? Where did Paul, certainly the historical giving of the Holy Spirit, but this matter of contrasting this matter of flesh and spirit, I think it has this Old Testament precedent And I want to address that with you a bit. And it does come, I think, very sensibly in the context of the law and the law's powerlessness to help us. Because now, remember, the law was given to Israel, right? And it was given to Israel after their redemption from Egyptian bondage. They were held captive by this foreign power. They lived within the realm of Of darkness, of idolatry, of sin, of ignorance of God's things and the things of God. And now God took a people and he brought them out. These people that he said to Pharaoh, this is my son. You will let my firstborn go or I'm going to kill your firstborn. That's what God said through Moses. This is my firstborn son. And I'm going to take them out of Egypt that they might worship me. And they might receive the inheritance that was given uh, that I promised to their fathers. Well, how did it go? How did it go? Well really not well. And it went not well right from the get-go, right from the beginning. And again, you need to remember that there was a people, this was a people God brought out of Egyptian bondage, who saw God's mighty works. saw. They saw the plagues. They saw that Egypt was visited by these plagues and they were protected and preserved. Those plagues did not come upon Goshen, where they lived. Only upon the Egyptians. And so God made a distinction, and God showed forth his mighty power. Then God opened up a sea and led them through on dry land. Stand still and behold the salvation of God. They saw the salvation of God, the saving power, the saving hand, the saving reality of a God that intervened in human history and led a people out of bondage, and slavery, and darkness, and despair, and he led them into a wilderness. And right away, as we move along in the story of Israel coming out of Egypt, out from the sea, eventually they're going to be coming to Mount Sinai, right? Um, There's some, I don't remember what it was, but there's some... Mentioned, I don't know, 17 of them, 16 of them, 22, I've told all kinds of numbers, of different places they went to along the way. Mount Sinai. And that's in Exodus. Exodus tells us the story of the movement of the people from Egypt to Mount Sinai. Numbers, the other side of Leviticus, tells us the story when they left Mount Sinai and they came to the borders of the land and that's when that matter of refusing to enter the land they believed the reports of the spies that said we're grasshoppers in their sight and Lord, no God's going to bring us into the land and then they were then judged to wander for 40 years in the wilderness but from redemption out of Egypt to Mount Sinai and from Sinai to Kiriath I don't remember the name of it. Help me on. Anybody? Remember where they came to? be on The borders of the land? K- uh, Kadesh Barnea, I think it was. Kadesh Barnea. When they came there, you have about the same amount of stops along the way. There's kind of a balance here that, that Moses gives, that the, the text gives. And not only gives us a balance in terms of the number of the stops that they give, but also the issues that were raised is the same. Exact same thing of issues raised. And what were some of those issues? Well, first it was water. They needed water. Come out of Egypt, we're thirsty people. How are we going to have water? First it was the bitter water. God made the bitter water sweet. And then, between the next episode and chapter 17, when the water gushes out of the rock, you have the matter of their hunger pains. So you have these feeding problems. How do you feed 1.5 million people in a wilderness? Well... Well, wasn't apparent. I'm sure they left Egypt with provisions, but that's going to soon run out. And and we're not two months into the thing. In chapter 16 of Exodus, it says this. It says, they set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sinai. That's where you get Sinai, from the wilderness of Sinai, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt. So we're two months into this journey and the yeah, provisions have run out pretty much the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness and the people of Israel said to them would we die died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt imagine that they're brought out of Egyptian bondage by the hand of a God who opened up a sea that they could walk on, out from, on dry land who visited the Egyptians with these Plagues that we were exempted from, who had shown his compassion, his love, his provision, his grace, his goodness to us. And what's the big deal about God providing for the need of his people in the wilderness? And one of the Psalms, I think it's either 106 or 78, one of those two, deals with these things that happened in the wilderness. And the question was can God make a table in the wilderness? Well, David said he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. My cup runneth over. God's able to provide a table in the wilderness to feed 1.5 million people. He's, He's God, maker of heaven and earth. There's nothing too hard for him. But yet the people don't look to him. They don't have a spirit of adoption, to use Romans language, whereby they cry out, Abba, Father, we're hungry. Grant us the provisions that we need. They're not crying out. And with the spirit of adoption apparently they lack a spirit of adoption don't they and what do they have they have hankerings cravings to go back to Egypt they have fond memories how, how in the world can an enslaved people under the burden of the, of the taskmaster under the lash of the, of the slave driver how could they have looked back upon that experience with fondness Answer, they grew accustomed to it. It's amazing what we can adapt to. We can adapt to the worst of all conditions and situations. I found that out when I got diagnosed as an asthmatic and I thought everybody breathed the way I was breathing with the labor that I was using and then I went to the doctor and they cleared me out they put me on one of these breathalyzers breathing in and breathing oh yeah this is how human beings are supposed to breathe I'd forgotten because I had grown used to the way I was breathing thought that was normal we tend to adapt, our bodies tend to adapt to the present situation and you know we have this autonomic nervous system that just operates apart from our own volitional, our own um, choices. It's just working. We're not aware of it. We're breathing. Our hearts are beating. All sorts of stuff are going going on, and, and we 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 just um, hardly understand that the things we experience, the things that we practice, we just get used to. We do it automatically. Every one of us has a certain way that we put on a pair of pants. One, it's always the same leg, whether it's right or left. You're conditioned to put in that leg in first. It would be weird to do it the opposite way. You're just so conditioned to do it. We have these natural ways of just doing things. This becomes natural to us. Because that's what living in the body is about. That's what this fleshly response becomes. And Israel was hankering interestingly enough after what they call the flesh pots the flesh pots all the meats that we were accustomed to we we don't have it here in the wilderness we want it and we want it now and so there was these cravings for the things they were accustomed to now you brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger (laughs) then God says to Moses he's going to do two things Number one, he's going to rain bread from heaven for you. And he gives some instruction about uh, the manna that uh, God's going to use to test them whether they'll walk in my law or not. And then there's this matter of the quails. The quails are going to come in the evening. Uh, quails first comes in the evening. They, they get flesh. They get meat. God, God, God condescends to their their demands or their desires just mercifully. And then the next, very, the next day, this what is this stuff that's on the ground that uh, they begin to find is edible. And it's edible, and it, it's nourishing, and it's good, it's a heavenly provision, it's meeting their needs. And then they move on. Go to the next place, and then it's the matter of water. What's the point of it all? Well, the point of it all is that up to this point, God's tenderly, mercifully dealing with them in terms of uh, well, maybe it's ignorance. (laughs) Maybe it's they just need to see one more evidence of of my goodwill and good intentions to them. I'll give them manna. I'll give them manna. That'll satisfy them. They'll see this miracle day by day, and they'll know that I'm I'm the God who provides. I'm Jehovah Jireh. I'm, I'm the God who makes provision for them and all of their needs. Well, Let's get the other side of Mount Sinai. The law is given at Sinai. They break camp. They're heading out to Kadesh Barnea. I think it's I think that's what what it is. And in the book of Numbers, in chapter eleven, we have a return of the very same issues that were addressed after they got out of Egypt. Well, what do we have here? Well, we have in chapter eleven and verse one the people complain in the hearing of Yahweh about their misfortunes. That's the first thing, and then. It seems as if, at this point, God's just not content to say, well, Moses tell them this, or Moses tell them that, or I'll condescend to them in some fashion. We read, instead, anger was kindled, and the fire of Yahweh burned among them, and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. We don't know if people were involved in that or just parts of the camp. Maybe their tents, maybe their provisions. But, but God brought something of an expression of His holy wrath and anger against them for their, uh, for their murmuring, for their complaining. Again, this is a people that complained before and He dealt with them in mercy but now mercy seems at this point to be in short supply and God's going to break forth in some form of judgment well then verse 4 the rabble that was among them had a strong craving and we back to that whole matter of craving the flesh cries out the desires cry out the people of Israel also wept again when they say oh those flesh pots <laughs> we've got to get back to the flesh pots sing the song of the flesh pots of Egypt man oh man we remember when we remember when oh that we had meat to eat we remember the fish we ate in Egypt it cost nothing yeah it cost servitude cost bondage It cost, cost the lash of the taskmaster oh but it cost nothing oh well, we remember the cucumbers the melons, the leeks the onions oh what a diversity of food this was but now our strength has dried up, dried up and, we, and there's nothing at all but this matter to look at heaven sent food They're minimizing this. That which came from heaven as God's own provision. And he goes on to say, not just that it's God's provision, but hey, this manna was kind of able to be cooked and presented in varieties of ways. This wasn't like a dull diet they had. The manna was like coriander seed, the appearance of Delum. The people went about and gathered it, they ground it in the hand mills, they beat it into mortars, they boiled it in pots, they made cakes of it. Would you like fried manna today? Would you like boiled manna today? Would you like baked manna today? What kind of way do you like the manna to be provided? You, it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. You fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. So, God gave provision that, number one, was nourishing, it met their needs, it kept them strong, enabled them to go forward. And He gave a provision that had even some joys in it and delight in it. Different ways to prepare the thing, different ways. So, it wasn't dull, it wasn't boring. What in the world were they complaining about? They were complaining about the cravings of the flesh. The cravings of the flesh did not. Find delight and satisfaction and joy in the heaven sent provision of God. As a result of this, Moses says to the Lord in verse 11, Why have you dealt ill with your servant? (laughs) This just increased my burdens, Moses says. This just increased my burdens. Why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Again, we're going through this. More complaints. We, we've danced this dance to death. I'm done with it, Moses is saying. Did I conceive all this people? <laughs> They're not my children. Did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries nursing child? So Moses begins to murmur, but, but quite understandably, one would think. He's just overwhelmed with the burden of the caring for this people. Um, where am I to get meat to give all this people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I'm not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight that I might not see my wretchedness. And then the Lord gives something of a solution. He's going to raise up 70 elders. And these are the same, I don't think, as the judges of chapter 18. That was Jethro's suggestion don't stand in the place of judgment all day long. But now these are leaders among the tribes that are now going to share the burden with Moses, get some of this burden off of Moses. And and when God was raising up these 70 men of the elders of Israel to assist Moses in the lead, in, in, in leading the people, look what he does. Verse 17, I will come down and talk with you there and I will take some of the spirit that's on you and put it on them. Now, again... What's the spirit that was on Moses? Um, it may have been his, his wisdom. It may have been his understanding. It may have been his patience. It may have been his meekness. Some of the things that characterized him. But I think that ESV is probably correct to think of it in terms of a capitalized spirit. They're actually talking about the spirit that was upon Moses. who was actually the spirit of God. God's Spirit equipping him God's Spirit giving him the wisdom that was needed that something that they lacked that Moses possessed that they would be given for the leadership of the people they did not have the Holy Spirit to lead the people and God would take the Spirit off of Moses, from Moses put it on them that they should bear the burden of the people with you also so that you may not bear it alone and then God says he's going to provide the meat He's going to provide the meat. But before the meat's let me, let's, let's get to the meat for a minute. Remember, back in Exodus, he provides the quail and makes provision. But now, again, there's the provision of quail. It's different this time. Just as we didn't have such a thing as the fire coming forth from the presence of God that, and the outlying camp because they murmured and complained and they were talking about all their miseries and troubles... He didn't have that in Exodus. There was no there was no dying. There was no death. There was no judgment. There was no wrath. But in verse thirty one, a wind from Yahweh sprang up. It brought quail from the sea and let them fall beside the camp about a day's journey on this side, a day's journey on the other side. So there's plenty to feed one and a half million people. People rose up that day and all night, and all the next day they gathered the quail. Oh man, oh man. We've meat it's like the flesh pots in Egypt and then while the meat was yet between their teeth in verse 33 before it was consumed the anger of Yahweh was kindled against the people and the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague well why does this happen at this point well I was thinking about it one of two reasons first of all back in Exodus you didn't have yet the miracle of the manna from that day forward every day you had the miracle of the manna And their sin was that they had disdained the heaven-sent provision of God. And so, in the light of that, you would think their ingratitude would warrant this kind of reaction of anger and wrath on the part of God. And the other thing I thought of was, at this point, at the other end of Sinai, you you have Exodus, all these steps leading up to Sinai. What do you have at Sinai? You have the giving of the law. What did the law produce in the lives of these people? Well, not a compliant, obedient, loving people. A rebellious people. And actually, their rebellion gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Doesn't cure anything, just gets worse and worse. The law produces death, not life. The law doesn't give life, the law produces death. The law doesn't make a people grateful only the grace of God, the heaven sent gift of God. Of course, Jesus speaks of Himself as the hev- as the man is sent down from heaven, the true bread that's sent down from heaven. Jesus is the man of miracle, and the people that eat of the bread of life that He supplies are people that live in gratitude. They live in praise, and then there is this other part of the whole equation of coming to faith in Christ. And that's the fact that along with faith in Christ, we receive the blessing and gift of the Holy Spirit of God. Well, the Holy Spirit, I think, was there in the elders who received part of Moses' spirit. But something interesting happens in verse 26. Two men remained in the camp. One is named Eldad, the other is named Medad, and the Spirit rested on them. Now here's not just Moses' spirit, it's the Spirit. The Spirit of God rested on them. They were among those registered, that is to be elders, but they had not yet gone out to the tent. So they didn't get what the others got at the time, the others got it. But these people prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, I'm going to rat on you guys, you're doing the wrong thing. Eldad and Me Dad are prophesying in the camp. Moses, this doesn't seem right. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses stop them! What are they doing? Why do they have to be prophesying in the camp? But Moses said to them, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, and the Lord would put His Spirit on them. On who? All the Lord's people. Moses sort of anticipates... What Joel 2 speaks about, of the Spirit of God coming upon all what? All flesh. All flesh. And when the Spirit of God comes upon all flesh, those who receive the Spirit of God are no longer walking after the cravings that bondage in Egypt... The things they were accustomed to there, the things they learned, and the the habits that they that they experienced, their their whole beings conditioned by that slavery condition. Now we brought out of that slavery. I mean, the slaves are brought out of Egypt bodily, but Egypt was not brought out of the slaves. And it's not until the spirit of the living God comes and rests upon the heart of someone who believes in the heaven sent provision of God that we come to be acclimated to a new reality. We come to be acclimated to a new set of things, a new dominion that comes into play. No longer the dominion of the things that you learned from slavery. No longer the dominion of the things that you were acclimated to and accustomed to, and your autonomic nervous system just runs back to these things again and again and again. You say, why did I do that? I determined I wasn't going to do that, but I'm so accustomed to doing it, I did it again. But by the power of the Spirit of God, what do we have? We have the the Spirit whereby we cry out, Abba, Father, Abba, help us. Help us no longer to live as we once lived, to do the things we once did. I mean, this is what Paul is getting at in Romans chapter 8, is we're not slaves any longer. We've been brought out of the dominion of sin. We're now made slaves to God. We're to have our fruit unto sanctification and the end of eternal life. And so those who are Christ's are to walk according to the Spirit of Christ, not according to the previous domain in which we once were held in bondage. We're no longer captives to that. We're now free to learn new ways, to learn new things. Now, Paul's not saying that we do it all right, right from the outset. no years we you know, this is a song that we sing years I spent in vanity and pride caring not my Lord was crucified knowing not that it was for me he died at Calvary well years and years and years of living that way we don't learn new patterns automatically overnight I mean I thought I became a Christian when I gave up smoking I thought man oh man I'm a holy guy yeah right deal with pride deal with, <laughs> deal with envy deal with all the sins of the heart Well, again, you don't learn all the new ways overnight, but the Spirit of Christ is in us so that we walk not according to the cravings of the flesh. We're not back in Egypt. We're liberated from that. And we walk accordance with the new reality of the Spirit of the living God given to the people of God whereby we might be true servants of God because the heaven said, man has been given and we've come to believe in the name of the Son of God and we come to live in the light of, of this grace and appreciation of all that we've been given and we rejoice in those realities. So we come into a new world as God's people in Christ. And that's what Paul understood. He understood now what didn't work in a people that didn't have the Spirit now does work in a people who possess the Holy Spirit of God. And hence are able to walk according to the Spirit and not live in accordance with the flesh. We've made that break. There's been that cleavage, that's been that taking away of us from that to a new world and a new reality, new dynamics, new powers, new. I mean, I think, that's where, I think that's where Paul's going. And I think that, again, the language itself uh, comes from, the, I think, the Genesis account. I'm uh, not the the uh, the Exodus and Numbers account of the experience of the people of Israel. That we who believed in Jesus, who have come into the vine, we become the Israel of God. We've come to have Israel's story to become our story. Now, need to see ourselves as the genuinely redeemed people of God, taken out of Egypt, no longer in that bondage, no longer in that domain we're in a completely new domain of realities that come now because of Christ's coming and Christ freeing us from the law of sin and of death and becoming free people to walk not in accordance with the old stuff but in accordance with the new stuff that the Spirit of God provides so that's one of the things behind the language so we am going to take up the text next week, but I don't have time to do it. We'll take up the text next week and see how that applies to what he says in Romans. Does that make sense to you? I hope it does. I hope it does. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the beauty of your word, the unity of your word. We're thankful that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for teaching and reproof and correction, instruction in righteousness that God's people might be complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. Help us to be a people thoroughly furnished to serve you wisely, to serve you well, not to live in accordance with the old cravings of the flesh, but to live in the light of the promptings and the workings and the power that the Spirit of the living God provides. We pray that you'd hear our prayers. You'd bless your people. Bless us as we greet one another this morning, as we have a time of fellowship and refreshment, as we enter into the morning hour, as we'd ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. The How you doing? Can you can do it. Yeah, you can do it. No, I you can do that. I <laughs> uh, Did I really write that? That's that's what I gave you this morning? Just so, not too embarrassed. <laughs> I'll write more next week. Thank you, Esther. welcome. Good. Well, thank you. You're so into it that <laughs> by the end. I think you're out of breath. Like, What's that? I think you're so into it by the end of it. You're all out of breath, and like you're so. <laughs> well, wait right till you get to 153. Oh, okay. Uh, 153 of oh, <laughs> um, If What you going to do? It comes. Do you want him to try and lead one was? It's up to him. Oh. Why don't you let him know that maybe next week he can do okay. it or something like that? Okay, give yeah. him a week. Give him a heads up. Yeah, we can we can provide him with the hymns and yeah. such. Yeah. And, yeah. 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 So he's just not. So I gave him a bill, an estimate of thirty grand. no it's not. <laughs> <laughs> we're trying to figure it out. It smells like apple tomatoes, but it doesn't. Yeah. So we decided we were going to split them up oh the cookie But Oh the cookies are almost gone. What's in there? Red pudding? I'm not sure. We can't figure out what it is. It smells a little Tim? Add-on. Tim, did you provide those? Ah. Yeah, there's red, like, red, pudding. Oh, red right. pudding. Red, red oh, pudding. I'm like, bread. why is there green in there if it was apple pie? You know what it was? It was donuts I had just, bought. Oh. And okay. some had sprinkled. Oh, that sprinkles. makes sense. So oh, that makes sense. It looks nice. It looks like concerned about green. I don't know. Parsley or something? No. Yeah, I to church, right? it. right? I got some here the bed. I think she wants stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, hey, Lindsay, don't get back. I'm going last minute. Start. You, you know, start. Start. know what I did last I oh, night? I was heading go out to go, 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 go to town and Vivian's. I made coffee and I forgot put the cup on there. Oh, we did it here? No, at home. We thought it was going to be quicker. So it just went a little before I was ready to leave. Yes. <laughs> I showed Dan a little, <laughs> Dan little outfit and he <laughs> said, <"Why am> <laughs> it little What was that? I didn't oh, Good morning. How you oh, are you? How are you I'm good. How are you I'm tired. I'm You have Good morning. They're not going to do a shoot now. Good. Because nice. I have a I'm like, "How did they do that? I'm so good. Yeah, See, you know, always, and if he slips, he then he's going to be Yeah, I just definitely think about it. Yeah, yeah. You should know, have it in your mind. Day or, day or day year. Year. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'll be yeah. in like, Danny's going to be stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> he might slip. Sarah was telling me about her friend who they went to do the C-section and they were right about her started, and my baby flipped like, literally like half the hospital, and like, she was like, I'll just do it anyway. We're already here. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So. But, like, yeah. Oh, no, it's just scheduled, so it's done. Honestly, I just serious. want yeah. <laughs> to right. like, Whatever happens, happens. Really, I don't even care anymore. like, right. Don't give me your advice. No. I don't want to hear <laughs> it. I just want to I'm sorry. I'm just going to grasp. A couple of exactly days. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know. uh, How are you, Dad? I'm all right. Good. Good. Everyone's going to have their opinion. Right, right. I'm already here. Ours is the only one that matters. He <laughs> said he has <laughs> some of the doctors. Uh, business, so, some of the doctors. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, it's, an affordable, it's, it's an affordable service. But. I've been wanting. I've been wanting. I don't like this at all. A, I like with the foot that thing. So now they take all of that plus, but yeah. Medicaid, Medicaid covers all. That. Yeah. Too much. And it doesn't even cover anything, so you've got to get a level. Maybe you see something I don't. Yeah. Morning. What is happening in the back? <laughs> yeah. What is well it's just something basic, but I can't I can't fit a life for me. To figure out. Yeah, the door's doing the door. <laughs> so that feels good, doesn't it? Fresh air? I guess. I <laughs> know. Yeah, definitely. Wow. And even thank you for mm-hmm. your in there you're allowed to. No problem. I, I the yeah. I don't like pushing nurse. with your hand and there. Doris brought that. Was oh, okay. Yeah, it's yeah. a nice one. It's It's uh, it's it's big enough. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Just go right. like lean mercy. down. we yeah. shall hit your head when exactly. you open it. I'm yeah. <laughs> supposed to lean down. I, <laughs> could, I, uh, going to <laughs> I don't think I get out of it. Haven't. Oh, I got some, just have some habits too, so so sure so boy. <laughs> I'm not doing any drugs. So crazy. Yeah. That's very true. No, they did in the beginning. I won't do it again. No, they doesn't. Because apparently, it's just protocol or whatever. I'm like, I think we're fine. I said, I have a habit. Like how many blood tests? I'm really Going back to the doctor, too, for some some of these thoughts that go through my mind. It's racing thoughts. Yeah, like, no, know, do that long sometimes you know, thoughts yes. Are you on medications? I, really I went seriously. off it because I was doing better. I did, yes. The worst the thing to do. You're probably doing better because you're on the medication. Yeah, you what? You're probably doing better because you're right. on the medication. Yeah. Yeah. Well, That's why you're doing well, better. Well, well yeah. When, yeah. when I went off I really it, when I have to go back on it. And I have a doctor's appointment in November, unfortunately. but. To sort things down for you. Yeah, it does. It's only, I look at it, it's like, like the old movie reels, the old movie reels with different frames, and sometimes every frame is different, and it just—I mean, do you see visually in those things? No, but in your mind, in my mind, you know, and it's—it's it's like I can't, I can't control it. Really, what it is, you know, no matter. Do you sleep well? Pretty good now. No. I mean, I wasn't sleeping well because of my knees. Uh, uh, but yeah, I, I find I'm, uh, when I'm overtired, my mind will do. This the rest is, of the I stuff. think this is something just a pattern that's been with me for, for me, you know my um, whole life. Um, and, and my, so that, and when you were talking so about you know have type of testing testing like, yeah. that type of thinking pattern, has always been, it has been there. Or whatever, that you know, know, those yeah. tests it's or, like a pattern. It's yeah, it's hard That's to break. why you have to fill, you have to fill your mind with other things. you know, sing hymns, stuff like that, so that your mind is you know whatever it's dwelling on that may not be a good thing. it has to, if it has to be. Classically functioning. Yeah. Would it be, you know, composing a sermon, you know, yeah. singing so, hymns? Uh, I'm, a, I'm aware of it yeah. and and I'm praying about it, yeah. and I believe God's helping me with it. Well, well, Abba, Father. Yeah. Abba Father, you oh, Abba Father. I was, it was funny because I was listening to a, a sermon by like Derek Thomas on on a, uh, Ephesians chapter 1 okay. and one of the, the blessings of the gospel and he was talking about adoption okay. and he says one time he was in Israel giving a tour and he, they were approaching the wailing wall and there was a, a father who was running late I guess for prayer there and he's carrying this like the two year old or three year old and he's, every step he's taking he's like carrying the, the child in the air you know, you know how you, you know, a couple steps, and the babies, the ba- the young child saying, Abba, Abba, Father, Abba, Father, you know. And Slow he down. Said, <laughs> he said, the father, stop. He picked up the child and put him to his chest and held him. You know, he, said, he just said that, clicked and hit. There comes, I'm not acting like a father. Something of a of a fatherly image of, of yeah. God, our Lord. So, uh, guess what I learned from probably. You're right, are yeah. yeah. so. yeah. not <laughs> uh, uh, like I said, to like, yeah, right? want to have like a whole of in things in things. yeah. So been so praying for that. They gave him a Well, that's good. I want Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't know where I left off. I don't know if I left off the pasture or you. Mm